welcome to Two Pills Podcast. Today, I am so excited to have Dr. Susan Fagan and Dean Francisco from the University of Georgia with us. So to go ahead and get started, Dean Francisco, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I have been here at the University of Georgia since probably the beginning of time. (laughs) Um, So uh, in the last 30 years, uh, I have primarily been in charge of overseeing the curriculum and a lot of uh, student-faculty interactions, student-student interactions, and uh, have kind of built a, a career around curriculum and students. Wonderful. And Dr. Fagan? I'm originally from Canada, and I've been at the University of Georgia as professor of pharmacy for 18 years, and I'm on the Augusta campus, and I've been very involved in research in stroke, and I'm also the assistant dean for this campus, so I have worked closely with faculty on other campuses, but specifically Dr. Francisco, and making sure that we achieve all the competencies for our curriculum as we change with the times. Perfect. Do you want to expand a little bit about that, about what you're doing in changing the curriculum at UGA? I'll uh, start us out and then uh, Dr. Fagan can, can fill in. Sure. Uh, over the, the period of time that I've been here and we've worked on curriculum, we have seen changes from students being able to know more, more pharmacotherapy, more drug interactions, uh, more patient-related uh, situations to being able to do more. And that doing more includes problem-solving, analyzing situations, and critical thinking. So we have made a, a large move over the years to make sure that our students can get out and not only interact with patients in a meaningful way, but also to interact with other healthcare professionals uh, not only on behalf of the patient, but also as an interdisciplinary team. Yes, so I am currently the interim director of interprofessional education at Georgia, and my role is to try to create and deliver content to the curriculum that prepares our students to be full members of an interprofessional practice team or collaborative practice by the time they graduate. In fact, we are obliged by our accrediting body to be able to swear that every student that graduates is practice ready for collaborative practice and that really enhances patient outcome. Before I got involved in this, I thought, oh, we've always been doing interprofessional education because all of our fourth year rotations were um, with other health professionals. But in looking more closely at it, it's clear that although our pharmacy students know a lot, they were unable to confidently give their information or their assessment to other members of the team to work together to enhance patient outcomes. So we've been working now for about four years to try to give our students the tools they need, communication tools and Um, assessment tools so that they can really impact change in the way patients are cared for. Absolutely. And I think you make a great distinction that a lot of us 
maybe misunderstand about IPE that because our fourth year students are in these interprofessional teams that that's automatic IPE, but it's really not. So can you talk a little bit about the unique things that you're implementing at Georgia? Yes, so there are four main competencies that we are trying to instill in our students. First, a knowledge of roles and responsibilities of the different healthcare members. For someone like me, you've been practicing for more than 30 years. It was eye-opening to learn about the preparedness of a medical assistant versus a counselor versus a social worker. What is their background? What is their role? And all of this information, I think, is going to help our students. Also, communication techniques so that we get the attention of the other healthcare professionals, techniques to improve the way we give information so we don't have the other professionals zone out. So we're working hard on interprofessional communication. So our pharmacists get to the point so they can help the patient and prioritizing their interventions. The other one is values and ethics. So the ethics of dealing with other professionals and treating them with respect and not being knowledgeable of what they're capable of doing and appreciating them for it. And lastly, teamwork. Well, we've been working on teamwork for a long time in the curriculum. Lauren, you remember that in class you were put in teams to try to solve the case problems together. So that is not a new concept, but now dealing with other professionals, I think it's more challenging because their background and perspectives are different. And we're trying to arm our students with those knowledge, skills, and attitudes that it takes to be practice ready. Absolutely. So within IPE, this question is for either of you. Um, Dr. Francisco, feel free to uh, chime in first. But um, what would you say are some of the biggest barriers to implementing both IPE and the new curriculum? And then what are some things that have been surprisingly easy about it? Well, I'll start us out with some of the the barriers, uh, especially with regard to IPE. Georgia is on a campus that uh, does not have the typical uh, medical support. Uh, We don't have a a freestanding medical school. The medical school is 100 miles away in Augusta, although they do have a branch of 40 students here in uh, Athens. We also don't have a nursing program associated with the University of Georgia, although there are two nursing programs uh, within Athens that that we can tap into. Given those uh, constraints, we don't have a natural flow of being able to bring students together to learn about roles and responsibilities, as as Dr. Fagan said. So we have had to rely on some kind of unique uh, situations that she primarily has developed. We started out, um, we have a vet school here, and we thought, well, maybe working with the veterinarians, and we started things like walking dogs and health fairs and and things like that that were fun for the students, but I'm not really sure uh, achieved uh, the roles and responsibilities or how we're going to act collaboratively in the future. So we've had, we have probably done more things that have been disasters, but they've been fun. And I think we're just now uh, being able to say this is a a meaningful experience. And I'll let Dr. Fagan kind of uh, talk about some of those. Great. Yeah, so um, the most difficult thing, and everyone 
who you talk to who's been involved in IPE says the same thing. It's the schedules. Mm -hmm. Each of the health professions has a rigid, you know, very stepwise curriculum. They have no wiggle room as far as taking the students out of that class and allowing them to go meet with others. So getting pe on people's schedules is, has been the worst part of it. The, and once we, we can clear the schedule and devote time to it, what surprises me, what has been easier for me, is how much students are willing to invest in a participation in this. For example, for the last three years, I've had events on the Augusta campus where I've asked for volunteers from the Athens campus to travel to Augusta to participate in an IPE about opiates with the nurse practitioner students. So many, I had 22 students all drive at their own expense to come to Augusta to participate and they loved it. Also, we have new, a new experience that um, Dr. Francisco and I have been involved with where we get the, P, the entire PA class from Augusta to travel by bus to Athens to do a physical assessment IPE with our P2 students. And all of this, the PA students love to come to Athens. Many of them were UGA grads and they, they had been on in Athens campus. So as long as we paid for the bus, they were there and they participated and they, it was really eye-opening, I think, for both sets of students to learn about the other professions. So I guess the bottom line is when we get our students together and we give them the, the knowledge background that allows them to participate meaningfully, we can get a lot accomplished. The, the real stumbling block is the schedule. Absolutely. And I think that's great. Um, like you said, the students can be really engaged in IPE, I think, especially how you present it. Um, I just gave a presentation on IPE to our brand new uh, orientees, you know, at orientation, and they were so engaged and had so many questions. And so that was really rewarding. Absolutely. So in addition to the fact that, of course, IPE, co-curricular, EPAs, all these words we're learning about from the standards, um, what, besides the fact that it's required by the standards, what from both an administrative and a practice perspective do you think the importance of IPE is? Dr. Francisco, if you want to go first. Okay. I think, for example, when we admit um, elderly patients to the hospital, one of the first things that the physicians want to know is when this person leaves the hospital, is he or she going to be able to go back home? And if so, will this person require physical therapy or home health or some other health personnel to come into the house? Or will this person not be able to go back home and needs to go into either rehab or maybe into a long-term care facility? So already I think that um, from that perspective, it's clear where physicians and other healthcare professionals kind of fit into a team approach to taking care of this person, but it hasn't always been uh, clear how a pharmacist would fit into this. But if you think about the patient coming in on one set of meds and going home on another set of meds or going to a long-term care facility or a rehab center, there are so many errors that can occur. And then if the patient does go home, can they access these meds? For example, um, if the person is homebound 
and let's say is going to be on an opioid with uh, the current opioid epidemic, a family member going to a community pharmacy may not always be able to, to get that prescription because it's not the patient himself or herself going. So I think this whole um, idea of interdisciplinary or interprofessional education is so important, not only for picking the correct drug, the way that we are, are teaching in pharmacotherapy, but also looking at the patient as a whole and how she or he or she will function uh, once they leave the, the healthcare environment. And Dr. Vagan? Yes, I think, you know, um, when we're teaching our students nowadays in the curriculum, it's making sure that the patient is central to the communication, the decision making, and, and the team that's working on this patient. For example, recently I heard about um, a group of pharmacists who, in order to facilitate effective um, discharge of patients in the cardiac unit, wanted to make sure that they heard about every potential discharge by 11 a.m. And, and instead of saying it was an issue for the patient safety and the family, they said, we need to know by 11 a.m. because we leave at 3. Oh, boy. And, and obviously, that's a complete immediately shut down from the people taking care of the patient. But actually, it was just the way it was communicated. It, it, if it was communicated in the sense of the patient, making sure the patient, we have time to set up the patient getting the meds, maybe in the hospital, they get mm -hmm. their meds to beds program, so mm -hmm. ensure they get their medication, that comes across very differently to the other team members. So I think we're making some dramatic changes in how our students are trained, so that instead of having to graduate and learn by trial and error, what works and what doesn't, we're gonna give them the tools that they're practice ready upon graduation so that they feel confident and they're able to communicate in a patient-centered manner what their contributions to the team are. And I think it's gonna advance the profession. I know it already is. And so as you've been implementing these changes, were there any, let's say someone else is going to be implementing these changes at their institution, were there any books or resources um, or podcasts that were helpful to you in implementing this change? Francisco, if you want to go first, or Dr. Bacon. Uh, well, anyway. I'm glad you asked that because I do want to share uh, mm -hmm. Arizona State University has prepared some webinars and they are very good, very well done. And they're on one's on roles and responsibilities, one is on interprofessional communication, and, and another one generally on interprofessional education. And they're free. And I have already assigned them as pre-work for our very junior pharmacy students. And I will continue to use those for other health professional students to give them the knowledge they need to come into the experiences with the other students. I think it, in the past, we've just thrown them in there without mm -hmm. the background. And I think this really helps them think about the different um, aspects of interprofessional collaborative care. So I highly recommend those, and I'm, I'm searching for others, but those are free and very well done. Perfect. Thank you. Dr. Francisco, did you want to add anything? Uh, 
if schools are interested in looking at some of the best practices, it's always um, a good idea to call ACPE and find out who has been commended for best practices during accreditation visits. And I think by interacting with those schools, um, we have learned a lot and I'm sure other schools would, would learn a lot also. Also, I think it's really important to really define what the objectives of a particular experience and to go through how you see the outcome. So for example, we have put medical students and pharmacy students together working on a pharmacotherapy case and their goal, uh, both sets of students, was to get the right answer and move on, where our goal was for them to interact and to problem solve um, and to, to learn about each other. But I'm not sure that we always uh, achieved that because they were more goal-oriented toward the answer. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think that's a great point is finding your objective and maybe it's out of those four core competencies of IPE and letting students know that that is the objective. And it's not just, you know, do you get all of their, uh, I'll pick on you, Dr. Fagan, all of their secondary stroke medications, you know, correct. Right. So I do have to ask you both, since you've been in academia, um, what insight do you wish you had on your first day? So let's say you had a brand new faculty member who came to their first faculty meeting and they just asked you for advice. What advice would that be? I'll let you go first, George. Okay. <laughs> I think from the teaching aspect, a lot of times a brand new teacher comes in and is the absolute world's expert on that topic. Uh, they're excited about it and they want the student to know as much about that topic as they do. But what we forget is that this is probably the first time that student has heard about that topic. They can't go into the depth that the faculty member knows. We don't have enough time in the classroom to cover everything. And so everybody can come away frustrated. Uh, the faculty member thinking, gosh, I didn't have enough time to cover this. And the students are going, I don't know what I'm supposed to get out of this lecture. There was too much. So I would remind uh, all new faculty that our primary purpose is to say, take something really complicated and to be able to distill it down to the important things that we can present in a simple manner. Great. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. I think that our students don't care how much we know and we don't have to show off in front of them. But what they do care about is whether you care about them. And so it's, you know, it's the old adage, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so what I would tell a new faculty member is be humble and be kind and be there for your students and, and convince them. And sometimes it takes a lot of convincing that we are on their side, we are invested in their success, and we want to make it make them the best pharmacists they can be. And I have to keep reminding them because sometimes they get thought, they thinking that we're out to trick them or we're trying to judge them. And we're really just want to be them to be the best pharmacists they can be. So I, I try to remind them every time I'm with any students that that's why I'm here. It's no other reason. Perfect. And the last question, this is one we ask everybody, what is your overall prescription for success and happiness in this job? 
Dr. Francisco, do you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. I think, um, again, we got into education because we wanted to, to deal with students. Now, if we're in the basic sciences, uh, basic sciences and we are teaching oh, medicinal chemistry or something, you still got into education because you wanted to be with students. Same thing in the clinical arena, we wanted to be with students. Now, the basic scientists obviously like their laboratory stuff. We like our patient-oriented uh, things in the, the clinical environment. But students are the primary thing that draws us to education and the reason that any of us have a job in education. So I think if you, you really enjoy the students, you enjoy interacting with them, that is the, the absolute key to being happy long-term in the education profession. Well said. Dr. Fagan? Yes, and I think that reinventing yourself as you go and learning new things, continuing to learn. Most of us who are in academia love being in school and love the whole educational process, and we need to evolve as we go. And for me, most recently, learning more about interprofessional education and having this new and exciting um, area that's challenging but also very rewarding is refreshing so you need to keep reinventing yourself and don't expect things to be the same from one academic year to the next and certainly not a career worth uh, 30 plus years you're going to change many times and embrace change wonderful well thank you so much for your time thank you lauren this is great thank you so much you are so poised, just like when you were with me on neurology. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs>